Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Spoiled Ballots podcast. I'm Paul Stainton. And I'm Martin Curtis. And he's the one with the beard, just for those listening in black and white. Uh, well, we've had the election, it's over, and none of us, I don't think, predicted what would happen. What a remarkable election, Martin Curtis. Um, you've been a leader of Cambridgeshire County Council, high-profile Conservative, a critic of Boris Johnson, so have I been a critic of Boris Johnson. Did we ever think he would walk into Downing Street with a majority of 80? I don't think anybody did, uh, not not reasonably. Um, I think it was astonishing. And, and what is interesting, again, is um, although the exit poll was absolutely spot on... there was It nothing... actually was, wasn't it, spot yeah. on? I mean, Labour's share of the vote was 33%, which they predicted. Yep, uh, and but it, nobody expected, and uh, nobody before that, and the polls weren't predicting 80-seat majority. Um, I, I, they were. There were a number that were predicting sort of 40. Um, it, it's, it's massive, and, you know, it's... Um, You've got much as I'm not a fan of Boris's. You've got to take your hat off to him. He got it right. He, he he seems to cut through for people, despite the bluster, despite the outright lies, hmm. and and you know, t- saying one thing on one day and one thing on another. Seem to to play better to people. Um, is it because we're all a bit like that in life? We're, we all make mistakes and we see ourselves in him? Or what is it? Or well, just because he was the least worst, as we talked about before? Well, well I think that's right. I, I, you know, the reality is, I think if you talk to Labour MPs, it's the Labour Party that lost it. So, you know, as an example, if you actually look at the vote share, the Labour Party vote share went down something like 7.8%. The Conservatives went up just by 1%. So you, you've got to look at that and think, well, actually, it's the Labour Party that lost this. And I'd love to see an analysis of that region by region. I haven't seen it yet, um, just to see what happened in other areas. So we know, as an example, Labour uh, gained a seat from the Conservatives in London. And, and it does show there's some regional variation. And it actually shows, potentially, that politics is changing a little bit and the representation that each party is getting and the, the profile of the people that are, they're getting support from is changing. Potentially, it might be temporary. I grew up in pit villages in South Yorkshire as a child and, you know, I lived through the Scargill years when, you know, to my dad and and millions of pit workers like him, um, he was king. He was Arthur Scargill was the king and... Um, now I look back and, and see exactly Arthur Scargill for what he was. He wasn't a king at all. Uh, um, and at the time, Margaret Thatcher was universally hated, hated in Yorkshire. And again, I look back now without those glasses on and, and see that something did need to be done about the unions, but not quite what she did, leaving communities distraught and behind. But people I grew up with, they would have chopped their leg off before voting or even considering voting Conservative. And some of them must have done in places like South Yorkshire, um, you know, in, 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 in the Midlands. Sedgefield. Yep. Sedgefield. Tony Blair's constituency brought back a Conservative MP. What's uh, going on? Well, it, it, it is astonishing. I do think it's a very, very delicate um, support. And, and I, I wrote an article for, um, for Housing Today um, uh, uh, yesterday. And I said in that that although Boris has got a massive majority that gives him a mandate to deliver for the next four or five years, the reality is 
that and, and Boris recognised this in his speech when he said that they'd lent him their vote. Yeah, that's a good speech, I thought. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if I'd have been advising him, and I do, you know, uh, PR marketing, as you know, these days, um, I, I think that's the speech I would have asked yeah. him to give. Yeah, but but what it does mean is that support is very delicate and and a, and a well organised and and restructured Labour Party with the right policy base. Uh, will win all that those votes back and uh, very very easily actually unless Boris has a spectacular four or five years in the north which he could do. Mm. But but the Labour Party first of all to win those votes back have got to get back in touch with effectively the working man, haven't they? Uh, they absolutely. And they're have. not showing any signs of it at all at the moment. They're not. They seem to be in denial. You know, which is is a river in Egypt, but it's not just a river in Egypt. No, but Jeremy Corbyn, uh, you know, well, first of all, the fact that he's hanging on says something about denial, um, first of all. But he did talk about a period of reflection, and they've not done that. They've no, looked no. straight into a leadership race where everybody's assumed that, that they know why it went wrong. And, and it was the media's fault, apparently. I mean, that is absolute hogwash, isn't it? I mean, that is... Are they, are they blinkered? Are they Are they stupid? Which is it? I I think there's a strong element within the Labour Party that are very, very blinkered. The, The momentum... The momentum wing of the party. To be fair, there are a lot of MPs that are accepting the fact that it was the Labour Party and Corbyn mm. that lost them. It. The trouble is, people are so beholden to the the um, the cult of Corbyn that that they they refuse to believe that it was Corbyn that was at fault. Uh, and those same people are going to want one of the same as leader. And unfortunately, that's not the leader they need. But surely you have to look at it in the cold light of day uh, as a, you know, a Labour supporter and see that you've lost to a man who was you know, caught out repeatedly telling lies and telling untruths and changing his mind. And you know, pr- probably the, the, the most untrustworthy prime minister we've ever elected, and you lost to him, and and knew he wasn't on top of his game, yes. and avoided scrutiny as a result of it, and got an eighty seat majority, and you 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 don't look at yourself. Well, I, I, there are the reasonable people within the Labour Party will do it, uh, but there are a lot of people in the Labour Party that are totally totally sold on the fact that that socialism and a form of socialism is the way forward. And a lot of other people totally sold on the fact that Corbyn was a social democrat and not a socialist, um, and uh, which is absolutely not the case. Uh, and you know those people are just—they are still in denial. The trouble is that wing of the party uh, probably has a majority of the membership, and mm. so uh, uh, you know. And and then you've got the Len McCluskeys of this world who were, were you know absolutely full square behind Corbyn. You know, and that, you know, and the unions have a have a big say in the leadership election, so it does look like that um, Rebecca Long Bailey, the left's choice, is going to win, and all it means is the Labour Party are in the same place. The thing is, as we talked about many times, the reason this this podcast is called Spoiled Ballots is because we didn't trust Boris. Nope. Um, and we didn't trust Jeremy, and I spoiled my ballot. I voted for everybody and ranked them, marks out 10. Uh, the highest was three, I think. Um, but I would have been prepared to have voted for, um, and I don't mean this after the shenanigans in Iraq, but I would have been prepared to have voted for a Tony Blair-type Labour leader with um, middle ground policies, which were some of the Labour Party's manifesto, were some of the Conservative Party's manifesto, sensible common sense politics that Tony Blair, you know, championed in 1997. And if that had been a, a debut Miliband figure or, or even an Ed Miliband figure, I, I think they would have won. 
I wouldn't do would have got my vote. It, it's very hard for me to say, as somebody that's voted and supported and been a member of the Conservative Party for 20 years, but my gut instinct is I probably would as well. Um, you know, a reasonable Labour Party that wasn't going to drive us down into into socialism, I would have considered as bankruptcy. a... Bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Christmas wish list of promises Absolutely. that came every single day. It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, I mean, most right-thinking right people see right through that, can't they? People are not stupid. Well, uh, quite clearly they're not, because that's what happened during the election. Um, uh, you know, and... and but but uh, I just really, really struggle with the notion that the Labour Party don't see that. You know, they don't see the fact that socialism as an ideology is dead. It's been dead for a long time. I would also say the Conservative Party need to make sure now that people understand what One Nation One Nationism is even if you can say it. And, um, <laughs> You've been saying it a long time. You should I, be used to it. I should now. be used to it. And actually, you know, they recognise that, that the way to solve this problem of this delicate vote and this delicate support is to really, really get on with a one-nationist mm. agenda. Boris talks about it a lot. I don't see a lot of sign of it. Yeah, I mean, I, as I mentioned earlier, growing up in South Yorkshire, and I, I mentioned on a previous podcast, the opening of the M18, I remember it vividly, and the lack of investment since then, and the way many of these communities were let down by the Conservatives. You know, I can see now when I look back, the unions needed tackling, they needed sorting out in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and, but the way it was gone about, you know, mines closed, thousands of people without livelihoods and jobs and nothing to replace them. That was a, that was a failure of, of Conservative <laughs> government. And, and Boris has now got to do something about those areas. You know, the old steel towns, the pit villages and towns, you know, swathes of Yorkshire, Lancashire and the Midlands and Northumberland. They need investment and they need lots of investment. Uh, they, they absolutely do. And, and there is a danger that, um, there is a danger that, you know, Boris setting and, and giving these signs that he's going to, He's going to loosen the purse strings a little bit. There's a lot of people in the South starting to rub their hands in glee. Um, my view is they ain't going to get anything because it is going to go up north. Um, you know, do you think he's? Do you think he's he's worked that out? He's 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 realised that because immediately after the election he went to Sedgefield, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's it's it. The thing is, it's it's a massive opportunity for the Conservative Party now, and if they don't take it then they've got a problem in four or five years' time. If they do take it, they're potentially in power for another yeah. 10, 15 I was years. Say, if, if they can solidify that vote, if they can back up the promises with action in the North, in the Midlands, mm. um, they're going to keep those votes for yeah. a generation. So the, the issue is it's not just the closure of the pits and the not finding industry to replace them. It's not understanding that um, you need to do things in order to help business to develop in those areas. So we're increasingly working and living in a world where um, you know you can work remotely you don't have to be immediately close to your employer I do a lot of it yeah me too uh, yeah um, so if you get broadband right if you get road infrastructure right if you get rail infrastructure right it allows the spread of the economy and then what you've got to do is rejig the whole skills agenda uh, and that's to me the biggest failure is uh, the amount of investment that's gone in down south it, to a certain extent, is needed because the South is where the the, um, the money's made in the mm. country, being honest about it. But you need, um, I've talked about this a number of times, a roadmap 
for success for every region in the UK that says this is the skills base we need to make this area a success. This is the infrastructure improvement we need. And then build your whole skills agenda around, around what those future needs are. Um, and at the same time as creating jobs, you drive aspiration as well. And that way you'll get people thinking about, you know, starting new businesses, making new things happen. And if you can get that sort of excitement, mm. then, you know, you could really make things happen. And, and although you're not going to get a lot of that done in the next five years, if you can make a start of it and get this real sense that somewhere is going somewhere, they will stay with conservatism. Yeah, but you you look at the north, and in particular the area I know well because I grew up in Gould near Hall. You know, you can't even get across country on a train. You know, without yeah. it taking three hours. You know, you yeah. can't, Leeds to Manchester is about two and a half hours on a train. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, that needs to be addressed. The health service needs to be addressed. He's promised, you know, millions for that, billions for that. N nursing shortages, GP shortages. You know, I could go on and on and on. And on top of that, he's got to sort out that you know that little issue in Europe as well. Well, um, it's, well, he started off absolutely on the wrong tack with that. Which you think is so? My, oh, one hundred percent. What, what a, the, the notion, you know, that the straight away he goes back to the most controversial part of of the Conservative Party's manifesto and the Conservative Party's thinking about deal or no deal. Um, he goes straight back to let's put no deal back on the table. Let's cause all the distress. Well, it's just a bargaining chip, isn't it? You, you, you go to you need that to go to Europe with, don't you? And say, look, if you don't give us the deal, Mister Barnier, uh, we're out, we're off. So when we negotiate a trade deal with the US, we have to find a way of threatening them first. When when we try and talk to China and get a trade deal, we try. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah, I just, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, good luck with that. It's um. <laughs> no, I take your point. But, it, if, you know. if if you go back in history. The best treaties in history have been done because countries have recognised the need to do it. And what would you need do? To do it. What would you What would you do with Europe? You know, would, we've got uh, a year to sort it out. What uh, would you do? Well, first of all, recognise you're not going to do it in a year because you're not. And um, well, he's going to have to. He's going to enshrine it in law next week. There's a There's a bit of a typical Tory bluster about that. Um, so you you put a bill in place that says we've got to leave in a year one way or another and you know we, or we've got to have a deal or, or no deal in a year's time and then when it comes to a year's time if it doesn't happen you amend the bill don't you so <laughs> well Boris would I think <laughs> yeah I mean you know so there's I a never bit, said that no, <laughs> so there's a bit of bluster in that but the reality is you've got to sit down with these guys and go right you know we can both benefit from a great trade deal mm. let's sit down and make a great trade deal and, and let's start on that basis, you know, and that's how people do negotiate, you know, they don't sit there with a, you know, with a gun under the table, especially a gun that's got two barrels with one of them pointed at your own foot. It, it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Good analogy. Good mm. analogy. I mean, in terms of, in terms of the deal, will he stick with the deal? Because that was gained under sort of duress, wasn't he? he, he in effect, he could rip up the leave deal now, couldn't he? And, and say to them, actually, I've got a bigger majority now. I want a better deal. The last thing you need is a collapse in support this early could in his leadership. Could he have one, Oh, I think if he did that, he would. I, I personally would wish he would just say, OK, guys, I got it wrong. Let's go back to Theresa's deal because his deal is worse. And, you know, it's increasingly becoming clear that what he is saying about Northern Ireland and borders in the Irish Sea and all that stuff is not true. There will be borders. And you know there will be well, there will be checks, and then we start getting into a funny scenario about the impact of that on Northern Ireland. 
But um, which is lessened because the DUP's uh, vote share went down, and and for the first time ever, nationalist parties in the north overtook them. So uh, perhaps on that, we're heading for a road to the north the, and the south coming together at some point. Well, I, I mean, that's got to be done by mutual consent, mm. and and the mechanism for that is all laid out in the Good Friday Agreement. To do with a majority of the vote share, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't think they've quite got there yet, have they, no. in terms of percentage of vote, but they're and, not and far off. No, and, and I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if that did happen. It would take a lot but, but, of problems but, away, but, wouldn't it, for Boris? But you've got to be confident that that is, that that is the worst scenario. You know, as a unionist, you've got to be confident that the worst scenario is that 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 um, there is a, a referendum in the, in in Northern Ireland and they decide to merge back with Ireland. Uh, the trouble is, there are a lot worse consequences than that in Ireland, as we know from yeah, the past. Of course, and 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 it's the threats and and the dangers in that area um, that that are worrying. You know, the last few years we have seen a rise in. Um, Republican activity in Ireland already, um, and you know the re remember that you know the terrorists in Northern Ireland um, were and arguably are um, both Republicans and Unionists. So you only have to annoy one of those two mm. in the right way, or give um, some of those people the ammunition to start recruiting. Sorry, ammunition is probably not the right no, word. No, perhaps, perhaps yes. <laughs> but but. You know, to give them, you know, the basis on which they could, you know, to start recruiting again. Uh, and so, uh, to me, it's a dangerous game that Boris is playing with with this, with the, with the Irish border. And he's got the other game in Scotland, of course. You know, the yeah. SNP rampant in Scotland, you know, up, upseated, was it seven Conservatives? Um, they, they've got a mandate, haven't they, for another referendum, surely? He can't I, deny them forever, can he? My initial response... Um, to that was was actually it's very very hard to ignore the number of seats that the SNP gained in in Scotland. It's really really hard. However, um, it's also true that um, fifty five percent of the vote went to Remainer parties. Um, part of me says Boris's solution is just to say go for it and just win another referendum, because it would do two things. It would blow the it would genuinely blow the argument out of the water for a generation. Then they couldn't go on and keep going. Let's have another That's one. That's what we Let's said last one. time, though, isn't it? Yeah, but the, you know, a second one. Um, you know, a second. I know. <laughs> Do you hear the irony in what you're talking no, about? No, I know. I know. But, but <laughs> another a, referendum. Well, you could argue that this a confirmatory it, referendum. Could, yeah, well, but but it would blow that up. But it, it wouldn't just blow the argument out of the water, and it genuinely would make a difference for a generation. Um, what it would also do is probably blow the SNP out of the water for the next elections as well. But it's a risky strategy. I mean, David Cameron's strategy of, oh, let's have a referendum, you know, in the UK yeah. on Europe, you know, it didn't work for a long time. Mm. Uh, it nearly, nearly went really, really bad for the Conservatives, didn't it? I mean, they were on a precipice of, uh, you know, mm. if the Brexit party had stood in all the seats... They wouldn't be in government, would they? I don't think. Oh, no, they absolutely yeah. wouldn't be in government. If the Brexit party had stood and... So these referendums are a dangerous strategy, aren't they, to take a punt on? Uh, they are, very much so. But, but um, you know, the reality is, without it, the SNP remain incredibly strong in Scotland. And, you know, while they're able to use their obsession with, um, with, with uh, um, independence, the reality is underneath that. 
there is a lot of evidence to say that um, they are not really doing Scotland well as a government. Mm. In education, health, it, they're yeah. failing, aren't they? Mm, yeah. yeah. So, you know, if, if you want to look after the people of Scotland, actually the argument is get that referendum issue sorted one way or another so Scotland can get on with doing what needs to happen. That's um, not going to be on his to-do list tomorrow, though, is it? He's, it, got, he's got too many things to sort it, out it, first. It can't be a priority for him. Um, but I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if two or three years' time, especially if he starts to have a positive impact in the north of England and he starts to show people that actually the Conservative Party get it at last... Then uh, I, I, you know, I can see him revisiting it and saying, "Yeah, okay, let's see what happens." Okay, we mentioned the Tories, we mentioned Labour, um, and a terrible election for the Lib Dems. We even lost their leader, yeah, the, uh, who was who was going to be prime minister, wasn't she? Allegedly, but, but their vote share went up four percent. Yeah, and they ended up with less MPs. Um, so you know exactly. Well, the agenda they're already on is PR. Is, is it proportional representation, Martin? <laughs> it is, and I have some sympathy. I have to. Well, the Greens' vote share went up as well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but it's not a great one for them because what it shows when that happens with parties, um, it shows that they get their tar- they got the targeting wrong. You know, either that or their targeting wasn't wasn't effective. And I know from some of the seats around Cambridgeshire, um, at least one of the hustings, the Lib Dem candidate, got some real, real grief because they got something like 17 leaflets from the Lib Dems through the campaign, and it just puts people off. Mm. You know, I remember seeing that um, uh, when I went uh, campaigning for the party in, in uh, I can't remember, it was a seat in Cheshire a few years ago, and, you know, going, knocking on somebody's door, um, and him saying, look, I've had so many leaflets during this by-election. He said, I just can't, um, I, I, you're putting me off, I, you know, and I think I just won't vote. And, and it does put people off. They feel like they're being harassed. Yeah, yeah. And, and particularly in this day and age when it comes to, um, you know, global warming and, uh, you know, various issues surrounding that, to be posting 17 paper leaflets through somebody's door is a silly thing to do, isn't it? Especially when you're a party that, that is gaining a lot of its support based on your stance on the environment. Yeah. Where do yeah. they go from here, then, the Lib Dems? It's really, really hard to say. Um, I, I mean, the Lib Dems and the Labour Party, really, both have got to have a serious look at themselves. They've got five years to get yeah. their houses in order. But, but, but they're different, aren't they? So the Labour Party has found an ideology. What it has found is a flawed ideology. Um, and, and they need to rethink that and revisit it. The Lib Dems are a party without an ideology. What they do is chase minor- votes on minority issues, and that's absolutely everything they are about. Could they Could they be the centre-ground party that they should be? Could they inherit the, the Tony Blair ground? Or, or has that gone? Has politics moved away and, and just let... Is it just me and you, two old dinosaurs stuck in the middle? Or, or has politics moved away from us? Well, well I, think, I think Boris is heading back in that direction. Um, uh, although the, the stupidity over no deal says otherwise, but I do think that's where he's going. And all the talk is that his reshuffle in February February is going to be uh, a move towards the centre ground again, which I think is absolutely great if that happens. Hmm. Um, the Lib Dems should be on that ground if they're not, uh, and I'm not convinced people know what ground they are on, which is one of the big issues. Um, but there is certainly opportunity there. Absolute opportunity there. Have we seen the last of Nigel Farage now? The Brexit Party are, are right drubbing, didn't they? Even in Peterborough, you know, where, where we live in Cambridgeshire, where they had a, a good local candidate, very vocal, mm. but very rich, a secret millionaire, Mike Green, uh, 2,000 votes. 
Um, in fact, he was he was he was joshing with me on Twitter about six weeks ago when I said, "Look, the mood has changed in the city. Let me tell you now, Paul Bristow's going to win. You know, people." have got the deal they want with Boris in Peterborough. They're going to vote Conservative to make sure they get it. And he laughed at me. And um, he's not got back to me since the election, uh, strangely. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, from a personal perspective, um, you know, the one bit of work I did during the election was to go out and help Paul Bristow and deliver some leaflets for him. Not a lot, because you know how my feelings were. Hmm. But um, but you support, felt you, you could support him? Uh, yeah, I can support Paul. He's a good guy. Um, he, he's, he's, he's a local guy. He actually went to the school 50 yards up the road from here, actually, mm. um, you know, for a time. Um, uh, and, and I've known him for a long time. And so, yes, I could go and support him. Um, but, yeah, for the, for the Brexit Party are... Um, Farage is talking about reinventing the Brexit Party as the Reform Party and then talking about driving the agenda on the need for PR. I'm going to agree with him on something. Uh, and, uh, you and Nigel sitting in the tree. Oh, don't you dare. Um, <laughs> Will you be wearing a flat cap soon? Uh, no. Uh, do you know, I, I used to have a flat cap. It, 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 my, my children hid it. Um, yeah, yeah. just probably, in case you look like Nigel. Perhaps. Yeah, probably, yeah. But he, there's no room for him now, is there? I mean, if, if Boris gets this deal done... His whole agenda, he's succeeded effectively in, in his wider agenda by getting Brexit done. So he should just go and retire, shouldn't he? Oh, the thing is with Nigel, he always gets this final strategy wrong. He did with UKIP. Um, Who are another busted flush, aren't they? No, finished. Absolutely. He's yeah. done it now with the Brexit party. And whatever he looks at and tries to do next, he'll do the same again. You know, he'll do it again. Um, the thing is with the Reform Party, I've said this before, reform has to come from the centre. Nigel is not a man of the centre, uh, and um, and so you know underneath all that will be the same. Uh, uh, I want to say hatred. It might be a bit strong, but that's how I feel. The same sort of underlying hatred that um, that that drove the Brexit Party and UKIP, and which is what ultimately hatred of what. Well, it, it's a status it, quo, or yeah, it's the hatred of anything. Almost that that is challenging to their beliefs. Almost uh, um, so, you know, the immigration issue and the way he, as leader as of UKIP, latched onto the immigration issue. But isn't that the same with momentum as well, isn't it? In the left of the Labour Party, yeah. that any the, the vitriol that comes out if you challenge one of their blinkered beliefs, it's the same with you know Nigel's whether it's the Brexit Party or UKIP. I know I did a, an interview with Nigel on the radio about four or five years ago. Uh, and some of the vitriol on the YouTube <laughs> comments, you know, yeah. hundreds and hundreds of comments calling me this, calling me that. I was just asking him perfectly reasonable questions. But they, they attack. Mm. They're going to attack mode because you're challenging their blinkered beliefs. Yep. And, and it, that's the danger. And, and the danger is that's where politics is now. It is very, very siloed, um, certainly amongst political activists. There's no sense from people that, you know, there is a need to work together and that actually by working together and, and trying to develop an, an agenda based on where we all agree, mm. um, you, you know, you can, you can actually help to deliver things. And, you know, where the Conservatives became unbalanced was because they lost their heart. They lost a sense of compassion. And I hope by driving back to a One Nation agenda, they can fix that. But, uh, you know, and there was this massive separation between left and right, largely because of that issue. And... If you can, if somewhere in the middle of that there'd been grounds for compromise, the Conservatives could have delivered on a positive agenda for business, whilst at the same time dealing with the most vulnerable in society, and actually, you know, 
and 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 actually done something in the centre that that you know was a compromise between the aspirations of left and right, hmm. and that's why PR is an opportunity. You, you mentioned compromise. Boris doesn't have to compromise, does he? For five years, he can literally do whatever he likes. Um, but we've talked about the dangers of that if he, if he goes too far down that road and, and the fact that he has to unite what is a, a pretty divided country on the, on the terms of Brexit but also on the terms of North versus South, uh, or Midlands and North versus South. Uh, your gut feeling is he's clever enough to, to be empathetic and, and, and to deliver on that 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 coming together, do you think? I don't think Boris is empathetic, and I think one of the things that came out in the election campaign is he's not empathetic. But he's clever enough to see an opportunity. He is. What Boris can do and is put good people around him. Mm. Which he did in London, of course, and he did... A, yeah, whatever yeah. people say, you know, mm. the buffoon on the high wire did a great job mm. in London, didn't he? Uh, uh, and, and left it in a better state than he found it, I think. Oh, no, he did, definitely yeah. did that. And uh, so if he finds the right person to do that... Then and, and there are a few people in the Conservative Party that could do it. Who if, do you think he should have around him? Uh, well, the person to deliver on a one-nation agenda, there are two that I believe in. Um, they are George Freeman and uh, and Greg Clark. And who are they? So Greg Clark is the Member of Parliament for... I've forgotten, but it's <laughs> somewhere in Kent. Um, and, and I work with Greg on the city deal, and, and I know he's... In Cambridge. Yeah, and he was one of the Conservative rebels, although um, he stayed within the party. Well, he was one of the ones that, that lost the whip, but came back in. Um, and, yeah, he, he gets one nationism, and uh, George Freeman definitely does. George Freeman's the MP for Broadlands. He's currently the Minister for Future Transport, which means having had that ministerial um, brief, he will understand transport infrastructure. And one of the things he said he wants to do is to bring our siloed transport infrastructure into one, almost, so that they talk to each other and work together. So at the moment, we talk about road, we talk about rail, you know, and we talk about public transport. Yeah. You know, but buses. bring them together and then and then talk about them together so they work together. Yeah, because yeah. increasingly that's where that's where um, you know transport is going anyway. Um, and so he gets that. He also gets one nationism. He's the guy that did the big tent um, uh, debates in Cambridge a couple of years back. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, so th those two people potentially have are the people that could do it, that have that empathy and understanding of what's needed. And he is a guy that picks the right person for the job. Yeah. And, um, and, and what should be on Boris's to-do list right now? In terms of, we know he's got to sort out Europe. We know that's coming back to the Commons this week. And uh, <laughs> the law that he's bringing in that you don't like uh, is going to get passed. And he's yep. going to go back to the EU in January. So, right, you know, negotiate or else. That's one thing. What's he got to do second on his list? What's most important? Uh, invest in the areas of the public sector that need it. So health service? Uh, the, the health service, uh, definitely. Uh, schools, I, I think schools is about a bit more than investment, but it's about getting those essential services back up to where they were pre-austerity. Uh, yeah. uh, and not to apologise for austerity, because whatever people say about it, unfortunately it was needed. I, I, there's an argument that it went wrong and they did the wrong things. But he's then got to look at the issues that are long-term causes of those of our financial problems. So as an example, the reason we are putting more and more people into prison um, and, and why we've got growing prison numbers is partly 
very largely though not you know not to um, diminish the idea the thinking is because we are not rehabilitating mm. and you know we're sending people to prison to be taught how to be criminals and you know it's it's about it's about hard punishment but it's about hard rehabilitation as well and you know we've had this conversation before it's right to say there are certain people that are probably not able to be rehabilitated. Yeah. So if you're convicted of a, a terrorism offence, yeah. you, you yeah. should you should go to jail. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and knock them out. Yeah. yeah. But but if but if you're convicted of burglary, that's what he's sort of promising, isn't he? He's, mm. he's saying that you know these people will have longer sentences, simple as. Yeah. And, and there will be no European Court human rights to appeal to because we'll have the final say. Yeah. But yeah, we will. But we'll have our own human human rights agenda. It's not that mm. we'll drop human rights. It's that we'll fit it, and and we still have to comply with the UN Charter on Human Rights. Yeah. But it, there are people, you know, as an example, the number of children in care that end up in prison. Is, is a statistic that, that should shock Britain. Um, you know, it's awful. Mm. And, you know, we need to address that. Uh, we need to start addressing those issues. Um, it's also, I mean, you know, adult social care is another ticking time bomb that nobody in this election even touched on because it's no. a huge problem and growing bigger and bigger by the day because we're getting older and older as a society, aren't we? But, yeah, yeah, but, but there's some things he could do with adult social care that could solve some of the problems. So you need a long-term solution to how you fund adult social care, which cannot be just about throwing buckets of money at it continuously. It's about slightly different structures. Um, one of which is to bring the whole adult social care structure under one roof. I would say probably, albeit reluctantly, I would say it should be the NHS. But then you can do th you could do things differently. So why can't you, as an example, um, go back to? Do you remember the old SRN SEN system yeah. where you've got SENs who effectively trained on the job? Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to that. Um, and I think Stephen Barclay try to and, and move forward on the idea of nursing apprenticeships but where you've got care workers who are going in and giving personal care to to older people and to people vulnerable people why not give them a career path from that into becoming a nurse as an example mm. and if you've got that whole thing under one system you can do that and then you start to deal with something that is a problem which is recruiting of care workers you said it's not about money and I, I tell you point what you just said but but it will take a lot of money won't it I mean it's going to need much 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 more money than um, is going in now and that and, and and we need an honest conversation about it don't we? Uh, we do what what we need to think about is how we fund it and and it can't be just about you know it needs another billion and a half let's throw another billion and a half at it mm. it's got to be about how do we put this on a long-term footing so that we this problem doesn't keep so sort of structure it first is yeah. that part of a restructuring of the nhs altogether or uh, potentially but what i mean by structuring is could you create a slightly different system where people are effectively funding their own adult social care through you know how we do with pension pots and uh, at the moment and stakeholder pensions you you put in two percent of your salary into into a pot for adult social care as an example and just something like that that means that you're not continually creating a burden on the state you could decrease taxation and do that mm. as an example and make sure you've got a long-term solution um, so that each individual can f is is able to fund it yeah uh, Tony Blair talking this morning uh, says that um the Labour Party don't just need a new driver, they need a new car, a new direction. Uh, it sort of echoes what we've been talking about this morning. Um, 
who who it should be the person we've talked about who should be the people that Boris brings in to make his premiership more inclusive who should be the people that lead Labour and because this country does need an effective opposition doesn't it I mean it, it, the Tories need an effective Labour Party the country needs an effective Labour Party or, or opposition I, um Quite mischievously, Michael Gove said yesterday the person in the Labour Party he fears the most is Caroline Flint, who obviously lost her seat. Yes, and, um, and accused Emily Thornberry of saying things yeah. uh, which she's allegedly going to sue her for. Well, um, I, I don't think any of us know the truth about that. No. And All I know about Emily Thornberry is she's got a flyaway fringe. That's all I know. Well, the thing I remember about Emily Thornberry was her, her snobbery during the Rochester and Strood by-election, if you remember when she took that picture of um, of the, the, the house with a yeah. white van outside yeah. and three flags and all that stuff, which went down like a lead yeah, balloon. Attacking your own fan base. Like Alex Ferguson, you know, pointing out some Manchester United fans and calling them scum. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I don't think she... The one that I thought had real potential was Angela Rayner, but she's apparently... Um, going to uh, be uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey's running mate, which means I think she's out the way. Um, so the other one's Jess Phillips. I think so, but I don't think she's quite there yet. Mm. Um, and uh, I think Yvette Cooper might be good, but I don't think the left will pick her. So we're not going to have effective opposition for the next five years? Uh, I think we might, in terms of challenge within the House of Commons... Um, but it, it, it's going to go one of two ways. You're going to have a Keir Starmer or, or an Yvette Cooper that can provide the challenge in the House of Commons, um, but whether they can win over those people that the Labour Party needs to win back are another issue. I think Yvette Cooper would do a better job of that than Keir Starmer, but both of them, the left, aren't going to pick. And Keir Starmer's got a bit of history as well. Um, so from, from when he was um, a Director of Public Prosecutions as well. So... Um, people would argue that it wasn't a great place under his leadership. Yeah, but we're essentially saying that the Labour Party is going to be in status quo for the next five years. So, you know, as long as Boris doesn't, you know, perform rickets and, and, and wreck everything in the next five years and does a decent job of getting out of the EU and investing in the North and the Midlands, he's nailed on for another, isn't he? As well, you, you would normally say with an 80-seat majority, you are probably going to win the next election. I think this one's more delicate than, than it has been in the past. But you, you would have thought so. But, but I, I really, really... Um, it's whether Boris has got the capacity to do it. You know, the economy is barely growing at the moment. Um, he's got some commitments in the, that, that make it very difficult for him to raise taxes. He's got other commitments that mean that his borrowing can only go so far. Um, so how do you how do you then get the capacity to invest? Well, let's look into the crystal ball into 2020, Martin. What's going to happen next year? Are we going to have a, a lovely, seamless transition out of the EU? We're going to have all this lovely investment in the North and the Midlands, the health service. Um, Boris is going to do it all beautifully with the right team around him. And we're not going to have a recession. Is is that what you see in the crystal ball? The trouble is, the, I don't actually. I do see a potential recession. We're so close to it now. Uh, we saw after the election that the stock market leapt. And then yesterday when Boris talked about no deal again. <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's all about 
business confidence. And if business don't have confidence, they won't invest. And if they don't invest, they're not going to grow. Uh, you know, that's where it, that's so, and, and that means we don't get the additional tax revenue that comes from it. Um, so we're not going to grow significantly. I think what we will see is two or three years of really quite um, serious borrowing uh, to get the party up to the limits, but there's dangers with that if, if interest rates start to rise. Um, I think we will see a stealth tax agenda because that's the only way they can raise taxes, and I think they'll want to. And then in the two years in the run-up to the next general election, I think we'll start to see that reverse. Uh, it's a typical cycle, but it fits this cycle uh, and where we are now quite perfectly, I think. It's going to be an interesting ride with Boris uh, driving the car, isn't it, for the next five years? And we'll see what 2020's got to bring. Uh, you still don't know what is going to come out about Boris as well. There's an element of Trump about him in, in the there way he behaves. There can't be any more skeletons, can there? Surely, well, surely. It's, um, and, and it's how much of that you can resist if it does start to happen. I, I just wonder, um, uh, you know, what there is. Um, I, I, I'm still not... You know, I'm still not confident about Boris. Um, the thing I'm confident about is his ability to surround himself with the right people. Um, but yesterday, his, his comment that says, you know, 2020 trade deal or no deal, just says to me he's still listening to the wrong people. We'll see what 2020 brings, Martin. Listen, mm. uh, thank you. Uh, thank you to you for listening. Have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And the same to you, Martin, as well. And to you.